Amen. Say it with me a few times. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endureth forever. Now let's all say it in unison together. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endureth forever. One more time. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endureth forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles this, uh, this evening to 1 Kings chapter 20, if you would. We're going to look at verse uh, 22 of 1 Kings chapter uh, 20. Amen. This morning we talked about uh, removing all of the obstacles that might stand in our way so that we could receive of the vast supply of God's goodness that He so lavishly desires to pour upon us. We discussed how that God is looking for a receiver. And that's exactly what you and I are, is we are believers and believers are receivers. Amen? So we may go into more depth than that next Sunday morning. I don't uh, especially feel led to talk along those lines uh, tonight. But let's get into the Word of God. I believe that this message will help you. The context of this specific message is... There was a time in the history of Israel when they had defeated the Syrian army in battle. And afterwards, the king of Israel received a prophetic warning to be prepared for a future conflict. And so we pick it up here in 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 22. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen yourself and mark. And see what you are doing. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come against thee. You know, it's a good thing to be forewarned. We are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. He certainly comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And seeing as how we know that, we must be fully ready with the whole armor of God on us to stand against the wiles and onslaughts of the enemy. And of course, we are not to be afraid of the enemy, but we are also to be very aware that we are living in a spiritual world. And there is a spiritual battle going on. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. But as we enter into that field of battle, we enter in with the full knowledge that Jesus has already overcome Satan, devils, and demons. And because He has overcome, praise God, we overcome. Now, is everybody comfortable tonight? Nobody's too cold. We don't want anybody getting too cold. And so I'm going to have... You know, Brenda, you can monitor that. You know, some people might be too cold. Other people might be too warm. But you know, when I'm up here preaching, I, you know, I'm either hot or cold. Now I'm good. And so we don't need to be obsessed or feel fearful about future problems. Now, interestingly enough, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 20. And I want us to look at verse 23. At the same time, the king of Syria was receiving this advice from his advisors. Notice with me. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods, small g, 
of the hills, speaking of Israel. Therefore, they, they were stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And so when the next spring rolled around, the Syrians were ready to attack again. So let's look at 1 Kings 20 and verse 28. Notice with me. Then a man of God, everyone say a man of God. A man of God came along and spoke to the king of Israel. Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Here's what's going to happen. Because of that, I will deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I guess so. Not only will they know that he is the Lord, but the Syrians will know that the hand of the Lord was upon the children of Israel, no matter whether it was in the hills, the plains, or the valleys. And I want you to know that our God is the God of the hills. He's the God of the plains. He is the God of the valleys. He is the most high God possessor of heaven and earth. He is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. See, it was a common belief back there that among the heathen, those that were outside the covenant, it was a very common belief that God's small g, plural, were territorial. You know, they spoke of, you know, that's a God of the river or that's the God of the forest. And, and their, their influence, because they're not God of everything, was restricted. And they only saw our God as one of many gods. They saw our God as being limited in range, kind of like a radio station, okay? You know, KFAX has got 50,000 watts. You can hear KFAX far and wide, but you can't hear certain radio stations far and wide because of less wattage. And so they were thinking that their God, the God of Israel, was limited in his influence, limited in his ability, and limited in his power. They said their God is the God of the hills, but not of the plains and not of the valleys. But the scripture points out to us very clearly a true picture of the living God. Abram said, most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And here's what God says. Look, heaven's my throne and earth is my footstool. Oh, that makes me happy tonight. Now, we're not just here tonight, you know, just simply trying to establish that God has a claim on the entire earth geographically, and He does. But that God's reign over creation is comprehensive and supreme. He is Lord of the whole universe. And there's coming a day, whether heathens, demons like it or not, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, what about us, where we live? What about in our lives? You see, God 
doesn't just want to reign supreme in our religious lives or in our Christian life. But God wants to reign supreme in every dimension of our lives. Amen. Are you listening to me? You see, the Syrians wanted to compartmentalize God. Hills or plains or valleys. But did you know that some people by the millions of Christians do the same today? I believe with all my heart. That God doesn't want just to be the God of Sunday morning. <laughs> From 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. And anything after 11.30, watch out. Because you got to beat the Baptist to Sizzler. <laughs> he wants to be our God 24-7. 365 days a year. He does not just want to be the God of church life. But he wants to be the God of your social life. He wants something to say about who you pal with. He wants something to say about who you date. He wants something to say about where you go. He wants something to say about what type of music you listen to. Well, it doesn't bother me. Stupid. I don't say you're stupid, that that's stupid. The beats and the tones and those things that are out there in the spirit of the world can get into your life if you do not guard the garden of your heart. He wants to be the God of our thought life, our family life, our job, our health, our finances, and our habits. Are you listening to the preacher tonight? A few years ago, the topic of one of the daytime talk shows, you've got to stay away from those daytime talk shows. I better not meddle here. And, and, and here's, here's what the topic was. Having affairs with married men. Having affairs with married men. And the host had brought up together several women together who were having affairs and to get their comments to see how they felt about it. One lady responded very positively saying that her affair with a married man had been a long-standing affair and she was very happy in it. Then someone raised the question of morality. Instantly, the woman took offense. Now, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. But I want everyone to know <laughs> that my personal life and my religion don't interfere with one another. And then she went on to say, I believe in a God who wants me to be happy. And if this man wants me happy, then God approves of that relationship. Crazy thinking. She might have had just a little bit too much religion and not enough Christ. Are you listening to me? But you see, here's what... What, what God wants in our lives. He wants us to acknowledge Him as our entire God, of our entire being, and submit ourselves entirely of who we are to Him. There's no time when God does not want His presence and His influence working in your life. Turn to me quickly to Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. And will you help the preacher preach tonight? This is my third go at it, so I'm asking you to read along with me. 
And let's believe God together tonight. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We know it's alive. It's filled with power. We are on fire for you, Lord. And we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. Amen. All right, let's read right on through verse 12. Ready? Let's go. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Now you guys go ahead. Verse 2. And my uprising, you understand my thought afar off. You compass my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but O oh, oh Lord, thou knowest it all together. Mom, that'll get you, get you. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me And thy right hand shall hold me up. Verse 11 and 12 now. Night shall be light about me. Verse 12. But not from thee. But the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. Does he know it all? He is our God. Now let's break this down for the last part of this message tonight. In this story we looked at earlier, the terms hills, plains, and valleys are used very literally, are they not? But in the next few minutes of this message, what I want to do is I'm going to use those terms figuratively, if you will, to describe different events and different periods that occur in our lives. Let's talk about the hills for a moment. What do the hills speak of? Well, hills speak and refer to the very positive times in our lives. What we would call the mountaintop experiences of life. Amen? The plains, now, what they refer to is the very ordinary and routine aspects of our lives. What we might call the mundane. Anybody familiar with maybe a little mundane? All right? And then valleys. Valleys, then, refers to the trials and the difficult times. My spiritual father said this, the crisis of life come to all of us. So the valleys refer to those trials and and difficult times, what what we might refer to as the low points in our life. So each of these particular areas, the hills, the plains, and the valleys offer their unique opportunities, but also temptations. And I want to talk about that. Let's think about it when we're on the mountaintop. Amen? We, we use such terms when we're on the mountaintop, something like James Brown would say, I feel good. <laughs> Caught you on that one, didn't I? 
You know, I feel good. I knew that I would. Or, you know, I'm on top of the world. We used such terms like this is the pinnacle of success. When a person's on top athletically or maybe educationally or perhaps they're a performer in a concert, we could say that they're at their peak, that they're having a peak performance. It is this time of year in, in Major League Baseball that you want to be at your very best in the playoffs. You want to peak at the right time. Okay? So that would be then a mountain top experiences. Now think about God for a minute. God has used mountains strategically throughout Scripture, has He not? What did He do? God revealed Himself to Abraham on Mount Moriah as Jehovah Jireh, as the Lord, His provider. God gave the law to Moses on Mount on Mount Sinai. God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice on Mount Oreb. In the ministry of the Master, he gained victory over the temptations of the evil one that occurred on a mountain. His most glorious, one of his most glorious happenings while it was here on earth was the transfiguration. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And he ascended on Mount Olives, did he not? So mountains then were used by God in times of visitation, in times of revelation, when his glory would be poured out in a special way. And so these become, if you would, landmarks and milestones in our lives. They're events and they're experiences that empower us and launch us into the plan of God. I love mountaintop experiences. I've had them, you've had them, and we enjoy them. Amen? But there is a temptation side now to being on the mountain. Look with me to Matthew chapter 17. And let's look at verses 1 through 4. There's a temptation that can come on the mountaintop. Okay? One of the temptations is to easily forget on about, if you will, what's going on down here. And, and all of a sudden thinking that everything in life is good, supposed to be chocolate cake with cherries on top. You know, our, our malteds with whipped cream. You know, our root beer floats that overflow. And thank God for those things. But the temptation is seen right here in Matthew 17. It says, after six days, uh, in verses 1 through 4, Matthew 17, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. He brought them up into a high mountain. Everyone say mountain apart. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Verse 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Verse 4. Then answered Peter and said, Oh, Jesus. Whew, it is so good to be here. I'll bet it was. And he said, Now, Lord, if you will, let's just make three tabernacles here. One for me, one for you, 
One for Moses and one for Elias. In other words, you know, let's just stay here a while. Let's just not go down below to see what's going on. I'm submitting to you tonight that Jesus never authorized the building of tents or shrines. He knew that the mission of his disciples was to reach people who were not on the mountains. Now, I believe that you and I should spend as much time being saturated in the presence of God as we possibly can. But once we are saturated, once we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're always going to be able to read in Mark 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I tell you what I've got on the inside of me. I got the go yees. I got the go yees into all the world. And it's good to be as full as you possibly can before you go. Look at Second Chronicles chapter twenty six. Second Chronicles chapter twenty six, and let's notice verses five through seventeen. The Bible says that Isaiah sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding of the visions of God, as long as he did what? As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. You suppose that's a word for us? Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jedna, and the wall of Ashad. And he built cities around Ashad and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbial, and against the Munionites and the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. I'd say he was having days of heaven on earth. I would say that he was having some mountaintop experiences. But in verses 9 through 14, it basically speaks of all of his accomplishments and all of his exploits. Let's pick it up in verse 15. And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones... So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he became strong in his own heart and in his own mind, and was what? The Bible says he was lifted up. It became his destruction. It's very important that when we share, that when we are having mountaintop experiences, number one, we give God all the glory. And that we don't allow ourselves to be lifted up in pride. Amen? God wants us to go from victory to victory to victory. But the downfall of man here was he became strong in himself. And it brought destruction into his life. And the Bible says that he transgressed against the Lord as God, entering into the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. So there's the mountaintop experience. Secondly, there's the plains. The word plain has several meanings. It means to, to, to be simple, not fancy, plain. Vanilla ice cream. Plain. Ordinary. Routine. You know, when traveling across the country, especially when you travel, you know, through Nebraska and through Kansas, has anyone ever traveled through those states? 
very flat and, and, and pretty boring. Iowa is very boring. They got some of the best beef and corn in the world. They're not exciting places to drive, okay? But that's where a lot of our food comes from. See, we're conditioned by society not to appreciate the plain things of life. The simple or the ordinary. We have a tendency to sort of razzle-dazzle the spectacular and the sensational. We become impatient. We lack contentment. And we can become thrill-seekers. Where the new wears off. Where the honeymoon is over. Where the goosebumps subside. And then all of a sudden we get this U-Haul mentality. And we say, you know what? The grass must be greener on the other side. There are so many pastors that have left their post. And they have left their station. Where God has called them to be. Because things weren't just going onto the mountain every Sunday. And I can testify to that. You know, we've been here 30 years almost. And uh, many have been the time where the devil would try to tempt us to leave this place, to leave our station. And one of the main lies that he uses is, well, the grass is greener on the other side. I've got news for you. The grass on the other side is the same as the grass right here. And the devil will tell you. And he's told me this. Well, you know, who you are and what you're doing is simply so insignificant. He'll tell lay people, you're not a missionary. You're not a pastor. What you do for God doesn't matter. He'll tell you lies about your marriage. Oh, you're just in the plains. Your marriage isn't as exciting as the one you see on TV. Your marriage isn't as exciting as what you see in the movies. You need to go find someone else. Good friend of mine was counseling two people. And her main beef was with him that he didn't treat her like the guy treated his wife on the soap opera. I guess the guy just kind of looked down and thought, oh, Lord, she didn't say that. And the pastor said, you do know that he's just acting. (laughs) You do know that that's not reality. But the enemy is, I'm telling you, he is a liar. Everyone say, the devil is a liar. You don't need to go find somebody else. You need to just step up, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Stop them wondering eyes. And stay put. Amen. Don't fantasize and don't romanticize. Oh, man. Oh, look at this person. Oh, that marriage. Oh, wow. They must really be something. You don't know them. They may be a granola Christian and not a fruit and a flake for all you know. Besides that, it's not really any of your business. The main thing God wants you to do with your marriage is to work on it 
Rejoice with the wife of your youth. I know I'm preaching good now. I could say more, but I'm not going to. The Bible talks about rejoicing with the wife of your youth. And letting certain physical parts of her body, amen, bless you at all times. Don't look at me like I just cussed. Amen. He that finds... (laughs) I'm doing the best I can, guys. You've got to help the preacher out tonight. Amen. It's getting warm up here. (laughs) Hallelujah. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Amen. Whoso findeth a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. Now, Brenda's not a thing, but she's my good thing. Amen. So, what about the local church? Well, church is just not as exciting as it was in the 80s. I'm not getting fed here anymore. I need to go find me a new church. A new church. See, a churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. Here's what he said. He said, I've gone for 30 years now, and in that time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. (laughs) So I think I'm wasting my time, and the pastors are wasting their time by giving sermons at all. And so this, of course, started a real big controversy. And all of a sudden, there were just a bunch of letters coming to the editor, and it it went on for weeks until someone wrote the clincher. Listen to this. I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me strength that I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, he said, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. Don't let the the devil lie to you. And tell you, well, you're just a helper in the church. Or you're just a mother and a wife. There's no higher calling than being a mother and a wife. Ah, you're just a father. You're just a husband. The devil always wants to sow this lie to your mind that you're a nobody. Because he, in fact, is a nobody. He is the accuser. He is the abuser. And he is the ultimate loser of all time. And you're not a loser. You're a winner. Oh, you're just, a, you're just a single person. Yeah, single and happy. Single and fulfilled. I'm not looking for my soulmate, should be your testimony. I'm not looking for someone to complete me. I'm already complete in Christ Jesus. 
And if those guys or those ladies don't see in me what God's put in me, well, that's their problem. God's got something good for me. And he who has begun, oh, I'm preaching it good now. He who has begun a good work in me will complete it. You just take care of your business. You live every day for God and God will bring to you the right man or the right woman. You don't have to go out and sell yourself. You don't have to let everyone, anyone try out the goods. Bless God. You're sanctified. You're set apart for the master's use. Woo-hoo. Anyhow. Paul said, he said, I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be what? Content. Be content with such things as you have. Now, I I believe in improving. Amen? And I believe in advancing. And you know I believe in prospering. I believe in living godly and in appropriate ways. But don't let yourself ever be motivated by impatience, immaturity, impulsiveness, discontentment, or thrill-seeking. What God wants is stability in our lives some consistency, and some discipline. This statement, successful people, both spiritually and naturally, are individuals who do the right things consistently, not because they're thrilling, but because they're necessary. He's the God of the hills. He's the God of the plains. And lastly, He is also the God of the valleys. When you're in the valley, I quoted it early, Kenneth E. Hagin said, the crisis of life comes to all of us. And I'll be honest with you, when I was a cocky young Christian, I didn't want to hear that. I thought I was invincible. But over the process of time, I understood that in Mark Thomas, I'm nothing. But in Christ Jesus, I can do all things. And through Christ, I can stand in the face of hell itself rejoicing in my God because I know my God will never leave me nor forsake me. And even though we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid. God's for us. He's not against us. No one wants to hear in the world you'll have tribulation. Amen? We must attach the rest of the verse to it, but be a good cheer. Why, Pastor Mark? Because I've overcome the world. Amen. Let's read this 23rd Psalm in closing verses 4 through 6. Are you here today? Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Harry Truman said, if you're going through hell, don't stop. (laughs) If you're going through hell, don't stop. Just keep moving. Amen. You've been encouraged tonight. I know this is a pastoral message. We may not run the aisles, but this is good stuff that will stick to your innards all week long. Amen. Psalm 23, verse 4 and 6, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, read it with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup runs over. Say it strong. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house. How long? How long? Amen. So if you happen to find yourself somewhere in the valley, don't buy the t-shirt. Don't buy into it that you'll never get through it. Don't set up camp in the valley. If you're in the valley, don't let the valley get in you. And remember that your father loves you. Love loves you. And that he is the father of the hills. And he is the God of the plains. And he's the God of the valleys. And he's right there with you in whatever situation you find yourself in. And he is for you. And you can trust him all week long. And rejoice in the goodness of God.